0: Today we're thinking about Jesus and his temptations in the wilderness. I read it anew this time, recognizing that Jesus was tempted all through those 40 days and not just at the end. One person said the trouble with opportunity is that, that it only knocks, temptation kicks the door in. And on the old TV show, Hee Haw, a patient came to Doc Campbell and said he had broken his arm in two places. Do you remember what he said? Stay out of them places. (laughs) Well, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, couldn't stay out of them places. Prior to the story of the temptations, as Amy mentioned, Luke tells us of Jesus' baptism. And then in between the story of the baptism and this story is the genealogy that Luke presents to us. Matthew's version starts with Abraham and moves forward in time, or down in time, to Isaac and Jacob, through Rahab, to Boaz and Ruth, to Jesse, to David, finally arriving at Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. That's Matthew's version. Luke goes backward in time. He says in this passage right before the temptation passage, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, son of Mathat, etc. And he ends it like this. Son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. In the baptism story, the voice from heaven at Jesus tells us that Jesus is God's beloved son. And the genealogy again tells us that Jesus is the son of God. And now Jesus has, as we have, the fullest sense of his own identity as he goes into this desert wilderness for his 40-day tug of war against temptation. On our church website is a photo from a picnic at Lock Haven several years ago of a tug-of-war contest. People from kids up through probably 60s, uh, multiple people in the picture, but one of them has the biggest smile on his face. And it reminds me of just how much fun the tug-of-war with temptation is not. (laughs) There's There's a story about The hours before D-Day, there were three chaplains, a minister, a priest, and a rabbi who were sitting together and solemnly discussing the possibility that one or more of them might be killed in the next few hours. And one of them said, It makes one feel the necessity of unburdening one's soul and making confession. This was the priest. He said, I must own up to you a terrible impulse to drink. Oh, I fight it. I do. But the temptation haunts me constantly and sometimes I give in to it. Well, said the minister, I don't have too much trouble with liquor, but I must own up to the terrible lure I feel toward attractive women. I fight this temptation desperately, but every once in a while I fail to resist. And then there was a pause, and both the minister and the priest turned to the Jewish chaplain and said, Well, what about you, Henry? Are you... Troubled with any besetting sin, too, what's your persistent temptation? And the rabbi sighed and said, I'm afraid I have a terrible, irresistible impulse to gossip. (laughs) Temptations can be both terrible and irresistible, and they are not limited to men of the cloth. Temptations vary within us, but no human goes untempted. Even the Apostle Paul, who for some ranks almost up there with Jesus, said, For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, it's comfortable for us to be able to blame our temptations on the sin that dwells within us. Or we can blame our temptations on the devil. The devil made me do it. Remember that? We can even blame our temptations on God, since God created us as imperfect beings. But I'm not sure how far we get when we decide where to point our finger. The fact remains, we are tempted to act in ways that undercut our society, our community, and our own lives. And the question then becomes, what are we going to do about it? Frederick Douglass grew up as a slave in Maryland in the early 19th century and experienced slavery's every brutality. He was taken from his mother when he was only an infant. For years as a child, all he had to eat was runny cornmeal dumped in a trough that kids fought to scoop out with oyster shells. He worked in the hot fields from before sunup until after sundown. He was whipped, kicked, beaten, But even so, when Douglass considered trying to escape to freedom, he struggled with the decision. He writes in this book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, that he had two great fears. The first was leaving behind his friends. He said, I had a number of warm-hearted friends in Baltimore, friends that I loved almost as I did my life. And the thought of being separated from them forever... "'was painful beyond expression. "'It is my opinion that thousands would escape from slavery "'who now remain but for the strong cords of affection "'that bind them to their friends. "'We can hear how difficult the decision was for him. "'In a painful life, the people who had supported him "'became his family and his world, "'so to think of leaving them, "'even with all the abuse he suffered, was scary.' It's like an abused spouse who stays in an abusive relationship because they know what it's like there, but the future is uncertain. Or an alcoholic in rehab who spoke of the fear of letting go of the alcohol that had been his best friend for 25 years. Through family turmoil, through job challenges, alcohol was the predictable support system. And like Frederick Douglass imagining leaving his friends, this person couldn't imagine life without alcohol. The devil in our story invites Jesus to seek his reward here and now. And I think that's what it's like for temptations in general. It's a temptation to fulfill our hungers now. Now. And not wait. Each time that the devil makes an offer to Jesus, Jesus counters that he has enough in God. God gives him enough to eat so that he doesn't have to attempt miraculous transformation of stones into bread, even though he's famished. One does not live by bread alone, he quotes, Deuteronomy. And then there are all the kingdoms of the world that the devil shows him and says, to you I will give their glory and all this authority because it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. And sometimes it does seem like the devil has the authority in our world, but let us not be fooled by him either. As we see the life of Jesus all the way through, we find that the devil does not have authority. Only God does. Jesus chooses to look at the long term and worship and serve the Lord God only. And then thirdly, he chooses to not test God, but to trust God. When we submit to temptation, I wonder whether we are testing God instead of trusting God. Jesus trusted God to meet all of his needs. It's difficult for us to do the same. I mentioned that Frederick Douglass said he had two great fears about trying to escape to freedom. His first was leaving behind people he loved. The second fear was this. He said, if I failed in this attempt, my case would be a hopeless one. It would seal my fate as a slave forever. And this is where the spiritual life differs. While we are slaves to our temptations, we also have the hope of freedom. From this side of Easter, we know that the consequence of Jesus' choice to resist temptation was a holy life, a holy death, and a holy victory of resurrection. How then shall we live? A Cherokee legend tells of two wolves. In the story, an old grandfather says to his grandson who had come to him with anger at a friend who had done him an injustice, let me tell you a story. I too at times have felt a great hate for those that have taken so much with no sorrow for what they do. But hate wears you down and it does not hurt your enemy. It is like taking poison and wishing your enemy would die. I have struggled with these feelings many times. He continued, It is as if there are two wolves inside me. One is good and does no harm. He lives in harmony with all around him and does not take offense when no offense was intended. He will only fight when it is right to do so and in the right way. But the other wolf, ah, he is full of anger. The littlest thing will set him into a fit of temper. He fights everyone all the time for no reason. He cannot think because his anger and hate are so great. It is helpless anger, for his anger will change nothing. Sometimes it is hard to live with these two wolves inside me, for both of them try to dominate my spirit. And the boy looked intently into his grandfather's eyes and asked, Which one wins, grandfather? And the grandfather smiled and quietly said, The one I feed. Let's pray. Lord God, you feed us with goodness and grace and love and kindness. And too often we spurn your gifts and live ungratefully. We pray that in this season we take a turn back to you. Find ways that we trust in you and allow you to lead us instead of ourselves. Help us to feed the good wolf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.